I am very much into running. I'm just gauging by that laughter what you think of me this tonight. No, I'm just kidding. In fact, I don't run if I don't have to. Uh, you, you, you can take this to the bank. If you see me running, there is a definite reason why I am running. I try not to run uh, in case uh, or, or unless I absolutely have to. And that's the case about running for most of us. If you see someone running, it's, it's very likely that they have a purpose in mind. They have a destination uh, in mind, or they have a reason for doing so. Because running is not something you do without a cause. Usually when you run, you are running from something, or you're running for something. You, you, have, you have a goal in mind. You, you, you are a runner, and you're running towards this goal of however many miles, or you're preparing for some type of, of, of physical activity, and you need to run to get into shape for it. Because when we run, we, we are either running from something or for something. Running requires a certain level of meditation. At least it does for me to continue running. Uh, it requires focus. It requires uh, sort of being in this zone that runners are always talking about. Unless you're Forrest Gump, that's what it requires. Right? I could run like the wind blows, right? Unless you're Forrest Gump, running requires a, a certain level of focus, a certain level of meditation. Whether you are an experienced runner or not, anyone running only does so looking for a specific outcome. In the past couple of months on Sunday nights, we have been engaged in this study less a study on what God hates. We've been engaged in this study sort of in conjunction with our yearly theme of more. We've been talking about the opposite of more. We've been discussing and studying what God demands less of, and that is sin in our lives. And it doesn't get any clearer than what the author of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there. Proverbs chapter 6 is where our text for our series has been. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. It says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. If you'll remember back to the very first lesson in this series, I, I gave that lesson and what we talked about in that lesson was fully explaining what it means for God to hate something. We talked about what that should make us do in response. What God's hatred of something should force Christians, followers of God, it should force Christians to what? Also hate those things. If God, I, I, the one we are following, the one that we are serving, our Creator, the Creator of the universe, if He hates these things, then I must hate these things also. 
talked about how it's not okay for us to dabble in these things every once in a while or to get friendly with these things from time to time. If God hates them, the choice for me to like them or to take part in them has already been decided for me and it has been taken away. We also talked about how when a Christian gets less and less of these things, it really is to their benefit. It really turns into more abundant life. And so we said the phrase less is more when it comes to this list of things that God hates. So each Sunday night, we've been breaking down a different thing that God hates in this list. And last week, Kyle gave a lesson on how God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the next thing that God hates in this passage. The New King James says, Feet that are swift in running to evil. The English Standard Version says, Feet that make haste to run to evil. The New American Standard says, feet that run rapidly to evil. The New International Version says, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Before we talk about what this means, I want us again to remember what Kyle talked about last week, a heart that devises wicked plans talked about how even the intention of of evil is something that God hates. Do you see the connection or perhaps a, a correlation between a heart that devises wicked plans and feet that are swift in running to evil? Tonight's lesson is what happens after that wicked plan is devised. After the heart devises and schemes and calculates this wicked plan that Kyle talked about, after that takes place, it is then the feet that take that plan and make it a reality. It's the feet that take the plan that the heart made and they make it a reality by running to evil. You see, the plan has to already be made for feet to go towards evil. Perhaps there is a correlation, a relationship between these two things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6. Tonight, though, we're going to be especially looking at what happens when a Christian refuses to stop running towards evil. You know, when it comes to physical running, like we were talking about earlier, it takes a certain, uh, a certain plan. It, it requires a certain level of focus and purpose, intentionality and reasoning. But I believe when it comes to the spiritual race, the spiritual running that we partake in as Christians, I believe there are two different types of runners. There are two different types of runners in this race in the Christian walk. And that is those who are conscious runners and those who are oblivious runners. 
When it comes to conscious runners, these are the runners who purposefully choose to do evil. Of course, when we're talking about running, when we're talking about the running about our study tonight, we're obviously talking about those who run to evil. We're not talking about those who choose to run towards God because that's not the topic of our text tonight. The topic of our text tonight, what does God hate? He hates those who run swiftly to evil. So when it comes to this first type of runner, a conscious runner, this is the person who purposefully chooses the world over God. These are the runners who know exactly what they are doing and decide to do it anyway. These are the runners who know what the right decision would be in this situation. They know what the pathway of righteousness is. They know what God's Word calls them to do. And on top of that, not only do they know the right thing, a conscious runner also knows just how evil the other one is. A conscious runner knows just how painful and dark the other pathway is. They know what this path will do to themselves. They know what this path will do to their families, to, to their soul, to their marriage, to their children, and they bolt and choose to do that path anyway. That is a conscious runner. And it isn't long into this run where the conscious runner realizes just how evil and dark it has gotten around them. And a lot of times, on this dark path, they start to believe within themselves, well, there is no return. I am now at the point of no return in this run, so I might as well keep on running evil. In fact, my father had a study with someone sometime who was getting involved into an incorrect marriage, and he was studying with this person and trying to challenge this person not to do this thing. And, and this man looked at him and said, If I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to bust the gates wide open. And that just sent just chills down my dad's body to hear someone say something like that. But when you are on the pathway of darkness... And when you are sprinting on that pathway of darkness, logic and reason don't seem to click. And you say things and you do things and you can't get out of this rotation and this cycle of evil. That's what we're talking about tonight. God hates feet that are swift in running to evil. He hates that. When the two options are presented before these types of runners, when they have the option of running towards good and, and towards righteousness and towards faith and towards God, or run towards the devil and run towards hell and to run towards the worst thing for their life, a conscious runner is going to bolt down the wrong pathway. That's what a conscious runner does he plans this out you know it reminds me of what we read about in the book of Jonah you can turn there we're not going to be reading it specifically but just to remind yourself and to jog your memory Jonah chapter 1 
In the book of Jonah, beginning of chapter 1, God charges Jonah with this great mission to go and, and to preach the word into the city of Nineveh. Well, the city of Nineveh was evidently a horrible town to go to, to visit, to be a part of. So what does Jonah do? He immediately flees. The Bible says he flees. Can you imagine in that, in that idea of fleeing, can you imagine him running? He fleed. And it says he was trying to flee the presence of the Lord. So he finds this port and he, he gets on the first boat that he can get onto. And what happens? You see, God had given him a path to follow. He, he had given him exactly what he needed to do. And instead, Jonah consciously decided to do the opposite. He consciously decided to run the very opposite path that God had wanted him to follow. How much did God hate that? Well, we don't have to guess, do we? God hated that so much. He hated what Jonah did so much. What did he do? The Bible says he caused a great storm to come upon the sea. In fact, the whole boat was about to fall apart, and Jonah, what does he have to do? He has to launch himself into the sea to save the rest of the people on the boat. Sure enough, as soon as he does, the waters go calm. But guess what's in the water? God hated what Jonah did so much that he caused this great fish, it says, to swallow Jonah up and make him think about his decisions for three days in the belly of that fish. And what happened at the end of it? What, what happened at the end of this uh, three-day in, in the belly of the fish? What, what did God do? He spit Jonah out at the very place Jonah was fleeing from. So all that fleeing and all that running and all that planning and all that devising, guess what it ended up in? You're preaching anyway. You're going to Nineveh anyway. And that's exactly what he did. So God obviously knew what Jonah needed to do. He knew where Jonah needed to be. And Jonah ended up exactly where God had told him to go in the first place. You see, the lesson from that always was, to me growing up, you can't outrun God. I don't care how fast you are. All of you are faster than me, except for Bob. But I don't care how fast you are, you can't outrun God. Jonah believed that if he, if he fled fast enough, he could beat God in this race. But the truth is, God is everywhere. He's not someone you can beat. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. When we consciously run to evil, it's when we make all of the purposeful and premeditated decisions to fail. Paul would say in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, it's a very important passage for the Christian walk. Romans 13 and verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. What does it mean to make provision for the flesh? What does it look like to make provisions for your flesh? Well, if you've ever been camping, my in-laws are here, they love to camp. First time we ever camped, it was negative 1,000 degrees in Illinois. And I was not prepared for such cold. I remember almost, I, I, I at one point said my prayer, right? I, I said, Lord, if, if it's tonight, forgive me. And that's because during that night, it was so cold, all of my blankets had fallen off of me. Jensi and, and everyone there knew this Alabamian needed a billion coats and blankets. So they all, I just laid there. And they all just placed about a hundred blankets on top of me. And they're like, all right, you ready? And they're trying to take care of me, right? Well, the very first time I rolled over, all of the blankets fell over. Well, I was just now dating Jensi at the time. Just, just had started not, not too long. So I didn't want to wake Wendell up by getting all those blankets and moving around. And, and so I just sat there and laid there all night, freezing. Right? It's a great story. So I know what it's like. We all know what it's like when you feel that cold and when you, when you choose not to do the right thing. But we also know what it's like when you don't make that provision. When you don't make that provision that you need to make. Well, we also know what it's like when you do make the provision that you don't need to make. Making provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Paul is saying when, when, when you make all of, of the necessary purposeful and intentional decisions in order to fail, that's what the text is, is talking about. The text is talking about those Christians who make every effort, the Bible says make every effort to do right. Well, there are some Christians who make every effort to do wrong. That's what it looks like to make provisions for your flesh to fulfill its lust. When you make provisions for your flesh to fulfill its lust, not only did you not choose correctly, did you not make the right choice? You intentionally prepared the opportunity to fail. And you chose poorly on purpose. You were the one who prepared all the provisions needed to accomplish that lust being fulfilled. That's what a conscious runner does. Consciously and intentionally running towards evil. There's a passage in Isaiah, I want to turn to it really quickly. Isaiah chapter 59, it describes what a life separated from God looks like. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 59. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so they will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for the truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. 
They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from that, which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are the thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Does that not describe what a life separated from God and built in iniquity looks like? Isaiah says, whoever takes this way shall not know what peace is. And when you look at that life that is, that is built in iniquity, that is running towards evil, that is shedding innocent blood, there's a couple of the things that God hates listed in this Isaiah passage. When your life is built on those things, it's obvious to see that less of those things is more. If I were to do less of all of that, then I would have more. But we convince ourselves the exact opposite. That if I indulge myself into this sin, then that will make me have a better life, a more fulfilled life, a more abundant life, when the truth is, couldn't be further from the truth. That's a conscious runner. Now let's talk about an oblivious runner. There's a conscious runner and an oblivious runner. An oblivious runner is one who incrementally and gradually, but slow, slowly but surely, chooses the world over God for a period of time. This runner starts to make decisions that at first, at first they don't seem that bad. They don't seem all that abjectly wrong, so terribly wrong at first. In fact, they probably started out sprinting on the right way. They were sprinting for God as quick as they possibly could on this pathway of righteousness. They were going, they were doing, they were preaching, they were doing everything they could. They were talking to everybody at work and at school and in their life. They were on fire for God and they were sprinting in this, in this walk, in this race that we're all engaged in. But then they slowed down to just a run. And, you know, you look at that and, and, and you tell yourself, well, I mean, that's not bad, is it? I mean, I'm still running. That's way better than most people. I'm still running the right way I should. And then that run turns into a jog. But that's not bad either, right? Because I'm still headed in the right direction. I'm just jogging. I'm not running or sprinting anymore. I, I'm jogging. I'm going the right way, though. And then that jog turns into a walk. And then that walk slowly turns into a standstill. And it's then that they look at themselves and they, and, and they look around themselves at this pathway of righteousness and they start to see other people passing them. Passing them by on their race, running and sprinting towards the pathway of righteousness. And they start to feel... Like there's no way that they can keep up with all these other runners. 
And sometimes they just turn around and leave the pathway of righteousness with all those other people running by them. That's the oblivious runner. An oblivious runner looks at their life, looks at their marriage, looks at their children, looks at their faith, and they have to say, what in the world happened to me? I used to be sprinting in the right direction not that long ago. What has happened to my life? What, what happened to get me to this place I'm in right now? It's the teenager that used to be at every Monday night out. But now, you only see them from time to time if it's something fun or if they've been begged personally. It's the father who used to invest so much time into his family to make sure that his family was, was active and excited about their faith, but now he can only be seen focused on his work and, and climbing that ladder at work. It's the mother who used to teach and nurture her children, but now can only be seen attempting to be their child's best friend instead of being their child's parent. It's the set of parents that used to put faith first in their family, but now can only be seen prioritizing their children's sporting events, band competitions, academic aspirations, and just about anything other than faith. It's the husband or wife that used to make every effort to pour out their love for one another, but now can only be seen as two detached people just trying to survive from day to day. This is what it looks like to be an oblivious runner. You don't realize the damage that is taking place until the damage has already taken place. That's what it looks like to be an oblivious runner. And that reminds me of a couple we read about in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, Barnabas is lauded and, uh, and, and gets this adulation for selling a piece of land and giving all the proceeds, uh, all the proceeds from it to the church for the cause of Christ. And then in Acts 5, we read about this husband and his wife, Ananias and Sapphira. And we read about how they saw how much praise and adulation Barnabas was receiving for his sacrifice. So they thought, we'll sell something too. We're going to sell something precious as well and give money to support the cause of Christ just like Barnabas. And if you stop right there, have they done anything wrong? I don't believe they've done anything wrong until they lie about how much they've given. If you stop right there, it's really a beautiful story. Here we have this tremendous example of, of Barnabas giving all of this money and proceeds to the cause of Christ. And we see this couple, this married couple, that looks at this example and says, we want to do that too. If you stop the story right there, it doesn't get any better than that. However, we know the true reason 
for which they sold that possession. And it was to receive the same praise and honor from their fellow man instead of from God. And so they lie about giving all of the proceeds to the church when they only gave some of the proceeds from the church. And it's not wrong to only give some to the church. It's wrong to lie about how much you gave. And here Ananias and Sapphira feel as if they have committed the perfect crime, so to speak, right? We're going to be able to get all of this praise and all of this glory for giving while also getting to keep a little bit of the money for ourselves. Who's going to find out, right? Well, they don't realize they're dealing with people endowed with miraculous measures of the Holy Spirit. And so when they lie to the Holy Spirit, what does God do? God hated what they did so much. that he took their lives. What do we learn from that? Well, we learn that you can't mock God. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. God is not mocked. You can't pull a fast one on God. You can't pull uh, the, the shades over God and, and, and act as if He doesn't know what's actually going on. But Ananias and Sapphira tried. And the truth about the oblivious runner that we're talking about the oblivious runner cannot at the end of the race say, Ah, I just got sidetracked. I'm sorry. Whoops. And expect to enter heaven. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul would also say in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, 30, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. What do we gain from these three passages? Well, we can't win. We can't get the crown unless we compete by the rules. Unless we compete and and run our race based off of the guidebook that we've been given. It also tells us that we can't go through our lives claiming we were just ignorant. We didn't know any better. Because Paul says, these times of ignorance God overlooked but now he's not going to overlook them. Lastly, it tells us that when it comes to the Christian walk, it's better for us to have never known Jesus than to have known Him and fallen away. The oblivious runner is not going to be able to claim an ignorance 
They're not going to be able to cling to whenever it was all those years ago when they were sprinting for Christ. They're going to be found just as guilty as the conscious runner. So tonight, whether you are consciously running to evil or obliviously running to evil, stop. Stop running to evil. God hates it either way. It doesn't matter how you ended up there. All that matters is that you are there. It doesn't matter whether you got there consciously or obliviously. You need to stop. Because God hates it. What exactly does God hate from our lesson tonight? Is it feet? Well, last week He hates hearts. This week He hates feet. No, He doesn't hate hearts. He hates hearts that eyes will get plans. He hates feet that are swift in running to evil. Romans 10 and verse 15, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. God doesn't hate feet. He hates feet that take those wicked plans and brings them into reality by making them happen. God hates the feet of those who run to evil. You know what's amazing about feet, though? amazing thing about feet is no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you can't go somewhere that your feet haven't taken you. Excluding cars or planes or, or boats or whatever the case, you, you walk to that plane, you walk to that boat, you walk to that car, whatever the case might be. You, you place yourself at that place because of your own two feet. You can't look up one day and, and see your surroundings and say, I have no idea how I got here spiritually. Because it was your own two feet that were the vehicle that brought you to that destination. Tonight as you look at your faith and you look at your soul, if it is the case that you, you, you look at that and you hate what is looking back at you, the truth is the only one at fault for where you have found yourself is yourself. No one brought you to that point spiritually but your own two feet. It was your decisions and your actions whether conscious or oblivious that brought you to the lowly state you find yourself. You cannot outrun God and you cannot mock God. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10, seek your own salvation with fear and trembling. Your own salvation. He would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. I can't, I can't answer for you. You can't answer for me. It's up to the individual. Here's the good news, though. It's never too late to turn around. I don't care how far down the pathway of darkness and evil you are. 
It's never too late to stop and go back the way you know you should go. It's never too late in the race to turn those feet around and correct your course tonight. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing tonight to watch someone use the very feet that led them down the path of darkness to walk down these aisles and to get back on the right track up the pathway of righteousness. Whether you're consciously running or obliviously running, your chance to stop, turn around, and to get back on the pathway of righteousness is before you as together we stand and sing for your encouragement. Christ, Lord.